Good morning, Minecrafters, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 11, Codependency Be Gone. Okay, so here we are, we're back, and uh, talking about, we, the last two, we were talking about codependency, and we talked about it in Part 1, really kind of got it rolling, and then Part 2 kind of wound it up with all the different ways codependency can manifest because there are so many ways it can manifest. And again, what's most important is to realize, you know, that it's about awareness, right? It's about becoming aware of what is working for us in our lives and what is not working so much. And when we have this awareness, once we have that, we're kind of off and running. And as my dear friend, Dr. Dave Landers says, once we have the awareness, we have the responsibility. Right. Because, you know, we can't do what we don't know, obviously. So once we do know, though, it's like, you know, we're set free in a way We're we're often running on a much better, healthier path. And, you know, again, it's also important to remember how common codependency is. So and remember, too, that we learn these behaviors very young in order to survive. So it's important to separate from the shame the best we can and to realize that we're all doing the best we can every day in every way. And, you know, by the time we're young adults, seasoned adults, you know, older, older adults, whatever, and we're kind of just coming into this awareness, that's okay. That's good. So just to rehash, there are all different ways that codependency can take form. The compulsive caretaker you know, and this is this is can be challenging because on the outside looking in, looks like oh she's such a good person. I'm sure she is a good person, right? It you got to look at we got to look at the intention, and it comes down to mind full giving versus mind less giving. So running around, running ourselves into the ground, driving on a little minivan, baking you know brownies for the PTO each and every time, bringing everybody's kids everywhere at every baseball game every single time. There's being a good person, and then there's there's this, you know, compulsive do-gooding because it's it's the only way we know how to feel good about ourselves. This is what isn't healthy because ideally, hopefully, ideally, we feel good about ourselves as is, as we are, versus having to fill ourselves up externally like that. That that is sort of the essence of codependency is this approval seeking, which we do. Um, and, we, and, and the whole thing about being a human doing, because, again, ideally we should, we, you know, being a human being is enough. We are enough just as we are without doing things for people. Doing things for people is good, right, with the right, with the correct intentions. But, and at the same time, just being, hopefully we feel enough just being. And that is kind of the goal without having the need to compulsively, you know, get this external approval. There's a compulsive caretaker, maybe an aging parent or a partner. There's the rescuer, which happens a whole lot with romantic partners. Um, seasoned adult with a young adult children who are really trying to be independent. But, you know, the, the, uh, the parent is, you know, has a lot of fear around that. What if they become too independent? And there's like this, all of this enmeshment going on. Um, that's another way we talked about the control freak kind of personality that's codependent, uh, the need to be controlled or the control E codependent. There's so many different ways. 
And um, with the controller, or also known as the emotional manipulator, they tend to seek each other out, the other kind of, um, the, the, you know, the kind of attacher. So they tend to seek each other out, and there's almost like a dance that goes on, like where one leads, kind of like an old-fashioned waltz. So there's all these different kinds of ways. So today we're going to talk about kind of what to do once we have the awareness that codependency is there. You know, I, you know, I come back to, you know, the, the short time I was kind of hanging around Alcoholics Anonymous when my mother first went in when I was about 12. And I went to those anniversaries and things for, you know, a couple of years here and there on and off. And, of course, the AA folks started to come to the house for different reasons. And as mentioned, I feel like I was surrounded by, by Velveteen Rabbits. At, um, if you don't know that children's book, it's a great one. Just so real and so genuine. You know, they've been around the block of life about a gazillion times and they were just so real and so warm and free of ego. Again, their fur is rubbed off like the Velotin rabbit. So I remember even reading some of this stuff that Melanie Beatty has to say now kind of triggers memories from way back then being, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 and not really totally understanding things then. And then I did have some idea though. And I remember hearing in their conversations, you know, just walking back and forth in the kitchen, they're having tea or whatever they're doing and hearing about detaching and kind of encouraging each other, counseling each other. I'm saying in quotes because it's, it's as a, it's as a support network, you know, not necessarily therapizing. Um, but there's a lot of talk about detachment in AA and um, it's, it's such an important concept because I think when we really love somebody who's got some sickness going on, Again, we're all broken in some kind of way. We've all got something, right? Um, and that when we're, it, it, I guess, I guess it's like we're, we think that we're doing something disloyal or something if we detach from the behavior. When the opposite is true, we can still love someone. Sometimes it needs to be from a distance, and that can vary depending on the behavior going on. But this detaching thing is very important for our sanity. And Melanie Beta here actually quotes an, um, an anonymous. Alan, I member, I guess it was redundant. Uh, it says in, or sorry, it detachment is not detaching from the person whom we care about, but from the agony of the involvement. That is so well said. We can still love for them, love them. We can pray for them. If, if that's what you do, um, send them the good energy, if that's what you do. But, and, and we can step out of the path of the of the tornado. We can step out of that and still care about them without being, without getting sucked up whole and dragged into the twister. And then the other thing, you know, Melanie Beatty mentioned, she went to some really good stuff about, you know, attachment. And we're not talking about healthy infant bonding. That's a whole different thing. We're talking about, you know, adults getting, getting sucked in for all these unhealthy reasons. And um, I'm actually having a memory at this minute about a Dr. Phil show years ago, which I think I've mentioned in a previous episode, he used to say, we don't do anything without payoff as human beings. We just don't. We're op- That's how we operate. And the payoff isn't always healthy, but we're still getting something from it. It's still reinforcing us, which is why we keep doing it. If we weren't reinforced, kind of like, you know, if, if we kept telling a dog to sit and we gave it a cookie and we stopped giving it a cookie, eventually it would stop sitting for us and listening to us eventually. So it's like we're getting a cookie for doing something, even if it's something, even that if that's something, that behavior is not healthy, it's being reinforced. And um, Melody talks a lot about 
the problems with attachment. And she says the problems with attachment are many. Again, we're not talking about love. We're talking about this enmeshment, this attachment that's codependent. The problems with attachment are many, she says. Over-involvement of any sort can keep us in a state of chaos. It can keep the people around us in a state of chaos. If we're focusing all our energies on people and problems, we have little left for the business of living our own lives. Well said. And there's just so much worry and responsibility in the air. If we take it all on ourselves, there's none left for the people around us. It overworks us and underworks them. Furthermore, worrying about people and problems doesn't help. It doesn't solve problems. It doesn't help other people. And it doesn't help us. It is wasted energy. I love that. That is so well said. You know, and this wonderfully helpful observation of the power of melody also plays right in with, you know, Minecraft and positive psychology when we talk about the difference between, you know, differences between stress and anxiety and worry. And with focusing on worry at this moment, because, you know, she says her last sentence of that paragraph is, it is wasted energy, right? We only have so much emotional energy in one day. So if we look at it like a pie, right? And we take, you know, a slice out of a wonderful conversation with our best friend or partner, or if that person is both great, good for you. And, you know, wonderful, you know, time to do whatever. And then we spend, you know, 15% of our day or 20 or 30% of our day um, with all this over-involvement and, and, you know, investment of chaos and also worrying. Those are valuable life minutes we are never, ever getting back. So if we start out with 100% of our emotional energy, we just, you know, voluntarily gave up 15 or 20 or 30% of it. That leaves us, you know, with 70% left, you know, in, in one very valuable day. That's tragic. And if you remember, you know, worrying, it, it comes down to what we practice, we inevitably get good at. It doesn't matter what it is. Playing the violin, cooking, skiing, learning a new language, whatever. Robbing banks, even we've said that, and the same is true um, with worrying because worrying is, in essence, practicing being anxious. So, if you want to picture yourself as Michael Phelps up there on the top little thing in the Olympics, winning the you know his eighth gold medal, you can be that person if you want to with you know gold medal winning warrior because really. That's all worrying is doing is rehearsing, practicing or rehearsing, being anxious. It does nothing. It gets no one anywhere. And as Melody said, it is a complete waste of energy and our very valuable life minutes. You know, I say that on, on the severe end here, as far as the attachment, people can get so obsessed with another person that when they're asked how they're doing, how that the person is doing, they'll tell you how the other person is doing or you ask them how they're feeling. And they kind of give this weird blend of what the other person is feeling. And this is, is extremely um, depleting. And the best word I can really come up with besides codependence would be redundant is just is enmeshed. They don't know where they end and the other person begins. You know, they, they go do whatever out in the world. They get a DWI. They do this to that or our teenage kids do this to that. And instead of, it doesn't mean we can't be upset about it. That's, we would expect that. But to have it 
almost take it as a personal hit, that's different. And the same would go in the positive sense of it being as if we earned the award or whatever. There should be, even with children, a boundary there that separates them from us. You know, and not knowing where we begin or where we end and someone else begins kind of defines narcissism. And we're not talking about um, the actual diagnosis of the narcissistic personality disorder. That's on the far end of the spectrum. So everybody take a deep breath here because with brokenness and emotional injury, there's often some narcissistic injury there, which does not make somebody a narcissist. Everybody hear me? Okay. On the extreme end of that, okay. But it's very common um, when there's injury early on in childhood for there to be some dynamics like this, which, you know, lead straight to codependent behavior in adults. So one of the, one of the key factors in that, trait-wise or symptom-wise or however you want to say it, is that enmeshment of not knowing where we end and someone else begins. So this kind of enmeshment is what largely defines codependency, again, even though it's broad, and it's also what defines, you know, sort of narcissistic injury. So disclaimer here, we're not saying that um, because somebody's having these codependent things going on, feeling enmeshed uh, does not mean you are a narcissist, okay? That's the far end of the spectrum. It's very common, very, very common, when there's injury, emotional injury early on, okay, in, in childhood, that this dynamic is is there, lots of dynamics. So this this sort of, you know, attaching and not to, a, to an unhealthy degree and not knowing where we end and someone else begins is is a form of narcissistic injury. And, you know, one of the big ways to kind of take that big leap onto the road of recovery is to learn learn how to detach. So first of all, we need to be aware of it, right? We can't do what we don't know. And then also to really, really get it that detachment is a good thing. It doesn't mean that we don't love the person anymore. It means that we love ourselves and it comes back to that oxygen mask on first thing. It also comes back to the uh, mantra of it's okay to take care of me. Self-care is not selfish. And once again, we talked about my, my least favorite children's book ever, The Giving Tree. We don't want to be, or actually you may want to be in that place if you want to be because there's payoff in it. Although ultimately you'll be beyond exhausted and fatigued and you'll, and you'll get sick and tired of being sick and tired, as they say in the 12-step programs. You don't want to be that giving tree at the stump level. I mean, you know, a nice place for somebody to sit. And for the codependent, there's a whole lot of reward in that. So hopefully, um, if you're listening to this now, something has clicked in you on the inside that that isn't working for you anymore. And you want way more out of life than being a stump. So Melody talks about, first of all, describing what detachment is not. And this is very important, especially for the codependent who's so used to being a people junkie and being so, you know, needing them like their oxygen line, right? This can be a tough one. So it's very important to understand what detachment is not. Detachment is not a cold, hostile withdrawal, a resigned, despairing acceptance of anything life and people throw our way, a robotic walk through life, oblivious to and totally unaffected by people and problems, a Pollyanna-like ignorant bliss, a shirking of our true responsibilities to ourselves and others, 
a, a severing of our relationships. No, detachment is not this. She says, nor is it a removal of our love and concern. I'll say it again. Nor is it a removal of our love and concern. Although sometimes these ways of detaching might be the best we can do for the moment. So this part is very, very important. The detachment, though it may feel that way, is not dumping somebody or severing a relationship. Now, in a later, later episode, we'll get to the, when we talk about the toxics and releasing them, that's a whole other thing. Okay. This is from, because they're at, they're like this tiny little wedge at the end of the spectrum that are truly poisonous. For the, everybody else who may be doing all kinds of addictive behavior, all kinds of things that are just, you know, not okay, yet we still love them, right? This detachment does not mean we are ceasing to love them. In fact, it's the opposite, right? We love them so much that we have to detach in order to be of any good to ourselves and them. You know, I'm actually getting a squirrel moment right now about, um, you know, the serenity prayer that's used in the 12-step programs because this, they're talking about, you know, and Melody's sort of alluding to or blatantly talking about actually separating what we can control from what we cannot. So then Melody goes on to say what detachment is ideally, okay? She said detachment is, is releasing or detaching from a person or problem in or with love, with love wrapped around, okay? We mentally, emotionally, and sometimes physically disengage ourselves from unhealthy and frequently painful entanglements with another person's life and responsibilities and from problems we cannot solve according to a handout entitled Detachment that's been passed around Al-Anon groups for years. So here goes. This is the serenity prayer for the 12-step programs. And it says, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And, you know, regardless of what your religion is or whatever, even or if you don't, um, or if you're spiritual or whatever, it makes no difference. Even if, if you um, make that secular for yourself, if that's better for you, it's it's still about separating what if you took if you actually wrote it out, got a piece of paper and a pen, and wrote out the things you can control from the things you cannot control, and then looking at that list, both sides of that list, and you know, and then sort of embracing the wisdom that can see the difference between those two columns. Even if that works for you, that is absolutely fine. I also like. Um, how Melody starts out with detachment because detachment also is in a very intimate relationship with mindfulness. And we all know I'm a fan of being mindful. And she says, detachment evolves present moment living, living in the here and now we allow life to happen instead of forcing and trying to control it. We relinquish regrets over the past and fears about the future we make the most of each day. Now, obviously, this is, you know, a good tip for anyone, codependent or not. And again, like anything, it takes, you know, effort. It takes effort to be mindful and it takes courage to be happy. Uh, it, it, takes, it takes deciding and making a conscious choice that we want something to change and that we, we are after seeking out our absolute best life. 
And with mindfulness, remember, this is just about being, you know, so it's not about adding to, to, do, to your to-do list, like John Kabat-Zinn says, and you're just not ready. If you're taking a shower, feel the, the hot water. If you're washing the dishes, if you're walking out, I'm looking at snow right now at the window. It's gorgeous. A walk out in the snow, be, be in the moment the best you can. And because we're um, on an anti-shame campaign, right, we're not striving for perfection. Progress, not perfection. So if you're out on a beautiful walk in the snow and your mind starts to go someplace dark or whatever, so we just mindfully uh, exercise non-judgment, okay, there goes an anxious thought, I guess I'm anxious today, there goes a resentful thought, whatever, and then regroup and just bring yourself back in. So detachment, especially someone, because we are creatures of habit, who's been um, in this habit, this unhealthy habit for a really long time, it's going to take a lot of regrouping. And what we do is we also tell ourselves that we can start, we can choose to start our day over whenever we want to. If we started over at 115 and then again at 145, we can choose to start our day over as much as we want to. Why? Because this is your life. You can do what you want to. Beauty of being an adult right there. So, you know, Melody talks about, you know, it's really important to tell ourselves, especially if somebody has been locked in again to this, this habit for a while, um, it, it's going to take a lot to kind of shift out of that. Okay. So she says detaching does not mean we don't care. It means we learn to love, care, and be involved without going crazy. We stop creating all this chaos in our minds and environments. We are not, when we are not anxiously and compulsively thrashing about, we become able to make good decisions about how to love people and how to solve our problems. We, we become free to care and to love in ways that help others and don't hurt ourselves. And remember, we are, as human beings, we are payoff oriented, and that can be very healthy. You know, and um, the organic biscuit, we just gave the dog to sit down. That can be very, very, very healthy. And it's important to remember um, when she talks about, you know, loving others in ways that don't hurt us, okay, that that payoff we get that's that's that you know, crack we're chasing down with all this approval. Um, just because something feels quote unquote good does not mean that it's healthy. Codependency falls under the category of addiction, right? So something that's passionate, let's just say passionate, think of something that just fills you up and over the top. Passion is life giving, whereas addiction is life taking. It's also important um, to realize once we talk about what what detachment is and um, is to realize and also what it's not right. And to realize that there are so many benefits from learning this, which is skill. Remember, I'm a big fan of skills, right? It'd be nice to, you know, be Mozart for a day or something where there's just, you know, the, the clouds opened up and, you know, through this incredible musical talent into, you know, into this baby who was composing his first, uh, you know, symphony at age six or eight, I forget, but very little. I mean, that would be fun for a day. Those skills are really where it's at because that means we have autonomy. We have control. We can, we can choose to detach and get better at it. And it doesn't mean it'll be easy or look pretty, but we can choose it and, and get better at it and be better off for it. So she talks about um, the rewards from detachment. And she said, they are great. See, first serenity, 
a deep sense of peace, the ability to give and receive love in self-enhancing, energizing ways, and the freedom to find real solutions to our problems. We find the freedom to live our own lives without excessive feelings of guilt about or responsibility toward others. I love that. Sometimes detachment even motivates and frees people around us to begin to solve their own problems. Well, hallelujah, right? We stop worrying about them and they pick up the slack and finally start worrying about themselves. And Melody says, what a grand plan. We each mind our own business. And once again, you know, what we're talking about here gels beautifully with positive psychology because happiness is a choice and it's our own responsibility. Even though it's cliche and people walk around, you know, they would know how to say the right thing if somebody asked them in a conversation, who's responsible, who, who's, whose responsibility is your happiness? And you'd say mine, though you know what to say. But a lot of people, there's a disconnect because they would know to say that, but they don't really believe that or behave in that way. And happiness is absolutely a choice and our own responsibility. And, you know, it should be like the 11th commandment or something, you know, <laughs> you know, thou shalt make oneself happy or something, or, you know, we can only control ourselves because it's so basic yet. I think it's a, tr- a struggle for many, many people to actually wrap around this and live it. And so this is probably a good place to stop temporarily because, again, codependency is such a a big, broad topic. And now we're on the positive, we're on the path to recovery, and detachment is huge. So that kind of took up an entire episode here. And I think it's better to just digest in smaller pieces. When there's a natural place to stop, I feel like that's a good thing to do. Just like if, if you were all in my living room, right, and we're having a conversation, you kind of, you know, conversations have this lovely flow where they just, they start where they start, they end where they end, they have pauses. And I'm feeling like this is a kind of a good place to go get a cup of tea or something. It's nice, just uh, natural closure. Um, and that said, we still have lots more to discuss about, about the ways to, rec- you know, along the path, to, the ways to recover, right? Strategies along the path to recovery is what I meant to say. And there's lots more to discuss. So there will be at least one more part to this on the road to recovery and maybe even a third part. I'm not sure yet. We'll have to see how it all plays out. So lastly, with detachment, uh, Melody talks about, uh, talks about detachment as being both an act and an art. She says it's a way of life. And she says she believes it's also a gift and it will be given to those who seek it. So then she, so Melody says, how, how do we detach? How do we extricate our emotions mind, body, and spirit from the agony of entanglement, or what I like to call enmeshment. And her answer is the best we can. I love that too, because, um, you know, we've said a lot through these different episodes. It's so important, especially during the Rona. I mean, not even especially, it just seems more uh, a need right now because we've gotten so fogged over. In general, though, we should, it's a good thing, not shoulds, it's a good thing to set the bar at do your best every day in every way. That is the, the healthiest thing we can do because it's a bar we can always reach. It's adjustable and we can always reach it. So I like how she says that. How do we address this? We do it the best we can. And probably, she says, a bit clumsily at first. And she says, an old AA and Al-Anon saying, 
suggests a three-part formula called how. The H is for honesty, the O is for openness, and the W is for the willingness to try. And on that note, Minecrafters, I'd like to thank you all for listening. I'm feeling a special shout-out thank you to Scotland today. So thank you, Scotland. And with that said, this is Kimberly Quinn signing off from Northern Vermont. Have a mindful day. Uh-huh.